Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast. My name is Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Wednesday night. Wednesday night, folks. Pressing record to go through a ton of stuff tonight, man. Me and Brian, we sat on the production meeting for two and a half hours today, getting all this stuff together. <laughs> it was fun. It, it took some time, but it you know, it was it was a lot of stuff to kind of arrange and digest, so we can make sure that we were getting everything to you guys that we think you need. So, yep. And guys out there, we are pressing record on Wednesday night. We're going to be doing some streams on Wednesday night too. And during the weekday, Wednesday nights are going to be nights we're pressing record. We're going to start dropping on Thursdays now. So as the season gets on, you've got a couple days to press play on any of our formats uh, to give a listen to the game. So in a way, Brian, I guess you could say this is the beginning of our fall camp. You yeah. used to Wednesday nights. We're, we're, we're kind of breaking ourselves in as we start for the season. As you guys know, we're going to be going live after, on, after every game um, in the season. Those episodes will probably drop on Monday um, in full. Give you a couple days to digest those. We're going to be back in the booth again on Wednesday. Drop it on Thursday. Give you a couple days to digest those before it's game time. So should be a pretty good format for you guys. Give you something to have twice a week but enough time to kind of digest both and uh, and not uh, not overwhelm you with content here. Exactly. This is also a move to save me and Brian's sleeping hours because me and Brian were talking the other week and we're like, oh, great doing it on Thursday. The issue with doing it on Thursday is normally there's some type of football game on, which after we finish recording, we're looking at it, we're watching, we're talking back and forth. The next thing you know, we've downed four to six beers. And then the next thing you know, it's 12.30, and we have to be at work. And we both have to be up early to get our kids ready. See, Curtis said 12.30, but he's really meaning one thirty. Yeah, really, you know, by the time. I mean, th- th- there's, been, there's been several nights where I'm like, okay, well, I've, I've stayed up this long. I might as well go ahead and do everything <laughs> I want to do to this, uh, this recording so it can get out first thing instead of waiting until the morning, so... Exactly. So this was a move that is for the listener to give you guys multiple days to download the content, take a listen. But it's also for our bodies, because as we were joking, Brian, if you ever do anything on Thursday night and it doesn't matter whether you were in college or now, as we are in our 30s with kids and real jobs, Friday stole the carrot. You feel like it's okay. I can go on three hours of sleep. I can't, tomorrow's Friday. The weekend's after that. Yeah, I, I can make it eight hours. I can, I can, you know, punch in, punch out, and then if I need to get some extra sleep, I got that opportunity. If I need to do a little power nap before I, you know, head out on a Friday night, I can do that. I mean, that, that it's that that's what it's all about. Whether you're twenty or forty, um, you can always make that excuse to 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 get a little foul on Thursday night because Friday's always going to be a short one for you, or at least it feels that way. Exactly. And when you legitimately do that every weekend in the fall, plus obviously Saturday nights, we're up late anyway, recording, watching the late games. And then if you like me sometimes, uh, if y'all remember from last season, sitting uh, on a deck, uh, freezing my ass off uh, in Gatlinburg, recording the, the, the post game podcast. 
Exactly. <laughs> Hilarious. All right. Well, tonight, guys, what we're going to be looking at is we are going to be looking at camp battles for the season. Obviously, we had press conferences last week. Uh, you know, media got access. Shout out some of the info. You know, credit Andy Bitter, Mike Nazolik, Mike Barber, amongst other guys. We're going to be getting into that. Before we jump on to that, we have had a few commitments since we last that with you guys so let's start and take a look at those guys and one other big subject that broke just the other day let's start with deandre martin at a life christian academy here in the rva deandre originally from durham so he's ranked with the north carolina recruits he is ranked 21 so a top 25 player from down there three-star rated as an 87 by 247 and he is a hoss six three and a half about 290 pounds and man, looking here, a solid offer list. You're looking at Florida State, Tennessee, South Carolina, and UVA all offered as well. So had interest from multiple schools. Brian, what did you see from his tape? Uh, this is a big kid, and I think you know we talk about getting some of these new um, pipelines. This is definitely one that we need to get in with Life Life Christian Academy. Um, but I, I like the way Martin plays. He's got good size, um, kind of a, a good first step for a guy that big, especially at the high school level. Um, so I like what he's bringing to the table. Um, you know, I think an 87 is probably about right in terms of a rating for him. I would put him kind of as that high three-star range. Um, so I think 247 is probably right on the money there. Um, you know, could could be... You know, 86 to 88 was kind of the range I was expecting. So 87 came right in the middle there. And, you know, we're looking, I don't know if he's going to get enough uh, ratings from the other uh, venues to really to, to, to pull that composite rating out there. But 87 solid. I, I like the kid. I'm, I'm excited to get him in. And I love that we're still, you know, focusing on these these big kids coming out of out of the high school ranks and, and not some of the undersized guys that we've been looking at before. You know, pushing 6'4", pushing 295, that's exactly what you want from an interior defensive lineman. Absolutely. Primary recruiters were Ryan Smith and J.C. Price um, and essentially beat out South Carolina and Shane for this one. So, again – Solid offer list, solid size at a uprising sort of prep school here in the RVA Life Christian Academy. They've got quite a few guys. Looks like they're building some down there. So definitely a good way to start the pipeline there. Now, Brian, just a few short hours ago, we got another commitment. Yes, we did. Mansour, Mansour Delaney. Yeah, Mansour Delaney. Yeah, that was, yeah. A, that was, a, uh, that was a pretty big one, too. Yeah. Um, you know, I know you got the probably you got the measurables there. You can go ahead and read those off for us. Yeah, I mean, corner six one, 180 pounds, so solid cornerback size there. Uh, number fifteen player in Maryland, rating an eighty six. But we know about lower star ranked kids coming out of Maryland, especially at the cornerback position. Um, and pretty solid offer list. You know, with you know, obviously us, BC, um, Louisville. Again, another UVA offer. We had our last battle with Maryland there, which is mm -hmm. to me a good win. You know, Michael Oxley's been recruiting very well down at Maryland um, the last couple of years, and he is a hell of a recruiting head coach. So what are you seeing for uh, Mansoor after he delayed us an hour 
<laughs> well, I, 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 word is he didn't delay us. The guy doing his uh, edit delayed us. Uh, he, he was he was waiting on an edit, waiting on an edit. So ended up being about a, what about an hour and fifteen minutes later than anticipated. Dropped somewhere around six fifteen, six twenty. Yeah, um, he was he was aiming for a five o'clock uh, announcement originally. So, um, you know, I, I'll say this before I get into what I see on tape. Winning the battles against the South Carolinas and the Maryland's, you always is, say it's what we've got to do consistently. Yes, we do. We're going to lose a few here and there to the Blue Bloods. We can't lose commits that we sit well with to programs that we are level with or above in terms of overall yeah. talent and prestige. So, getting these wins, regardless of what you think about the individual player is still a good thing. So I, I say that to say this, looking at Delaney's tape, I like the way he plays from a physical standpoint, um, does a really good job redirecting receivers, getting them off their path. Um, probably is going to need to work on um, kind of turning hips and making sure that if he's not able to get any sort of you know physical um, element at the snap of the football that he's in the right position um, throughout the entirety of the route. But overall, I think he's a guy that can you know potentially contribute to us in the future. So I, I like this pickup. Um, you know, it's not it's not necessarily moving the needle for us, but at the same time, it's it's a solid pickup and the type of pickup we need to consistently go out there and win. Absolutely, and it's also a region of the country we need to continue to grow the relationships with, and we need to get these type players. You go back 25 years ago and you take a look at that 95 team, and I know that's a long time ago, folks, but there were a lot of Maryland kids. The Fullers are from Maryland. We've always had a decent pipeline up there, really big when Billy Height was there with the math of, I feel yeah. like Billy could walk in there and just about get any player he wanted. <laughs> but it's having that whole piece because we always talk about well, what's a, what's a recruiting blueprint, right? You can't get 20 guys from Virginia and sit on that. It's getting, as Brian always wants, three or four in the top 10, six to eight in the top 20 in Virginia, and then pick one or two off from Maryland, two or three off from North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida. And now with Enroads in Texas, pick one or two off there and occasionally from somewhere else in that region. That's how you build a program like Virginia Tech. You if want 45% or so from Virginia, and you want at least um, four of those guys to be top 15 players. Yep. That's what and you want. Pre preferably two of them to be top 10. And then you you kind of go from there. I mean, we we could fill the the team with Virginia kids every year, but at this point, the way other schools are recruiting, we do well, but we would we still wouldn't get to where we need to be. So we still need to cast that net, um, especially to those areas that we sit well with historically, like Maryland, like Duval, like some of the areas in Georgia that we've kind of started to to, to carve out a path in. Um, like the, the, the triad, I mean, we've done really well in the triad of late. So th that's where we, I mean, if you're, if you're talking outside of Virginia, that's where we need to focus. Like Texas is great. We get a couple guys from there every cycle. That's fine. But you still got to cultivate those traditional pipelines that you have established since, you know, the early nineties. Absolutely. 
and taking a look here, I mean, we have a class of 21 so far and eight are from Virginia. So they're right in that range that you're talking about, Brian, about 45% from the state. And then again, I'm just looking here and you got talk about the triad, Xavier Simmons. You got a couple guys from Texas. You got some Pennsylvania guys. You got some Georgia guys. You got some South Carolina guys. So this is the blueprint that should have never stopped, but it did. But we'll digress on that later <laughs> one time. All right. Other big news this week that broke, and I'm sure everybody's heard it by now, Whip Babcock gets an extension to 2029. Mm-hmm. That is a long time away. Yeah. Did the math, Brian. Um, <clears throat> our sons will be driving when Whip's contract is up. This is accurate. Yeah. <clears throat> So, um, as far as it goes, what are your thoughts? I mean, what do you think with Wits so far in his first seven years at Virginia Tech? So, I think there's there's kind of two angles to approach this. And the first is going to be, I'll, I'll separate it by how he's done in terms of hiring and managing talent for the athletic department. And then I'll break it down in terms of overall athletic mission. So... On that first piece, outside of football, he's done as good as probably any AD in the country in terms of getting coaches in with talent, getting Olympic sports and non-revenue sports competitive across the board. He's done a damn good job at that. And... Say what you will about Fuente, but that wasn't necessarily a bad hire Mm-mm. when it happened. It wasn't the preferred hire, but it wasn't a bad hire. It hasn't worked out, but hindsight's twenty twenty. So I'm not going to say that it was a whiff. I'm going to say that he probably had some options that may have been a better fit that he passed on, but there wasn't any red flags that said Fuente would have been a bad hire when that hire was made. So it is what it is at this point from that perspective. Now from a athletic department mission standpoint, I think that's where this comes into the most play, especially with reach for excellence launching. And regardless of what happens with Fuente, whether he's gone after a season or two or whether he rides out the remainder of his contract, I think overall they've said you've done well enough where we're going to let you hire another football coach. Yep. You're going to get one more, one more shot at this while you're, you're here. Um, based on your overall track record, we, we, we trust you to potentially do better this time in terms of finding a fit. And I think, I mean, overall, I'm not going to say Fuente's a bad fit, Fit. Just, I think Fuent, with necessarily the the way he came in, but I think Fuente is a bad fit in terms of the type of coach that fans wanted or expected coming off of Beamer. I think he did a good job of respecting some of the the traditions and things about Virginia Tech coming in, but he didn't kind of get the nuances of what the fan base is expected from a coach. That's 100% true. You go from Frank, who was just at, at that point in time, and even up through that point in time, was lovable grandpa figure. Even if you go back when we were younger, he was – you hear people that met him, he was a very approachable person, where <clears throat> he is not. 
And could that change with Fuente? Maybe, maybe not. If if you get 12 wins a year, yeah, it would change real quick because everybody would love you regardless of what happened. But the Fuente hire at the time was a home run. Yeah. It was like two or three guys out there, and he was one of them you had to get, and we got one of them. Now, what's happened subsequently is not good, especially the last three seasons, not the first two, because people jump on and say, well, he extended him after we were 19 and eight. We were 19 and eight. And we were on the doorstep of beating Clemson in the ACC title game, like on the doorstep. If that happens in 16, the narrative changes, but he had to lock him down because you knew bigger programs were going to come sniffing. Now, overall, the athletic department, I mean, everything's competing. Everything. Yep. Everything's competing at the NCAA level. You know, you had softball make it to super regionals. You had so many guys in wrestling make it. Track and field outstanding on the ACC again. Baseball had a heck of a run until the bullpen just forgot how to play baseball. Um, but so many things are doing well. Soccer's ranked again. Soccer has been to a Final Four, I believe, think since what's been here maybe i'm right maybe i'm wrong about that but they've had success yep. he's been given the opportunity because he's built everything right where Whit made his mistake and this is where we're in with fuente is and you've said it numerous times to me and i'm sure you've said it to other folks he came in and he cleaned up the other stuff first instead of paying attention to football first now once he realized that what was going on in football he had to do something with, he has got on that fast. The facilities upgrade, the dining hall upgrade, the student dorms. It went, it was like 17 happened and then 18 happened and then kind of realized like, okay, we're behind in things. He put the hammer down and he's gotten caught back up. And, you know, do we sit here and say, if he starts spending that money in 14 on the football program, when he first comes in, are we where we are? We don't know. We can speculate and say, no, we'd have better facilities, easier sales. Um, we wouldn't have had the run in with Baylor and all that stuff, whatever. But overall, he's put everything else on good footing, and now he is focused on the football program. And that's what's got to be done. Absolutely. And, you know, we, we can look and, and, and pick apart things and, and everything else. But, I mean, looking back at 2014 – at that point, did we look at what was happening as a trend or as a blip? Blip. So, but then you had 14, you had 15, but then you had yeah. Frank gone, and then you had Wit maybe thinking new head coach might be enough to write the ship long enough to for me to get these other pieces in place. And it was. And not see a drop-off. It was good for two years. It wasn't good for the four or five he needed to start getting these things in place. So not not saying that that was the mindset, but but trying to think about it from a strategic plan standpoint, that might have been kind of the angle he was going at and just things didn't quite hang on long enough in both the 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 pre-fu era and the uh, the, the the since fu era. To, to really make it look like, you know, the design that he had in his head at the time. <laughs> it's the it's like the early Foo era, and then 18 was the mid-Foo era, and we're part of the late Foo era. And the question is, this season, obviously, 
what saves his job. And I know we're going to probably argue that all season with people, Brian, but what saves his job? I know I've got a number in my head. You've got a number in your head. We'll, we'll be revealing that in a few weeks. And uh, so who knows? That's going to be the interesting thing because in, in for some people, it might be a moving target depending on what the wins and the losses look like. And for some people, it might be if you don't hit this benchmark or that benchmark, I think you should be gone. So uh, it's going to be different for different people. And, you know, that's we decision. look forward to having some of you guys discuss this with us yes, as we, we, you know, shake down some of these wins and losses this season, because I'm sure at some point yeah. that topic's going to come up, whether it's every you know, week for, for good or ill. <laughs> every week it's going to come up. <laughs> every week. All right. Now, guys, before we get into looking at what's going on with camp, depth and all that we are going to go take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners if you haven't heard about anchor by spotify it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place they have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer when hosting on anchor you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like spotify apple podcast and more it's everything you need to make a podcast and best of all Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R.fm. Now back to the good part. All right, Brian, let's start it out here. Let's start on the defensive side of the ball. Let's take a look at the defensive ends first. And I don't think this is going to shock anybody. Uh, you know, per the reports we're seeing out there, Mari Barno, Taiwan Garbett up in the first group. You know, obviously, Jay Ham during the presser mentioned last week, Barno's just scratching the surface of his ability, and he thinks that he's going to put pressure on offenses that have to adjust to him, which is going to make things easier for Garba and the rest of the defensive line and probably the rest of the whole defense. Yep. And I, I agree completely with Ham on that. Yeah, I, th- I think that was a good assessment. I mean, the type of – just the physicality and the speed and athleticism that he brings, they're going to be shading uh, protection his way, chipping with tight ends. That's going to potentially take um, an extra guy out of a route, at least in the early part. So that, that tight end now becomes more of more or less a check down um, type option and not somebody, you know, running a seam or, or any other kind of complex route in the middle of the defense for us. Um, so there's a bunch of things that, that can happen from that, aside from just the trickle down of, you know, guy like Jordan Williams not getting a double team, Garbett having one on one on the other side. Like there's there's just so many things that that opens up and and takes some pressure off those other guys. So having Barno be able to, you know, take another step is going to be important this year because, you know, we talked about how, how much of a step he took from week one to the final week of the season, not really having a, you know, a true fall camp to prepare uh, you know, and not really having the ability to practice each week on the position like he wanted to. So, and he even mentioned himself. I mean, this has been kind of the first off season in a long time for him where he's been 100% healthy um, going into the start of a season. So I think that's going to play a big factor for him as well. Um, and, you know, he's obviously with, with some of the things last year, he's dealing with some of the expectations that have been put 
put on him. We're talking about that right now. I mean, in, in what we're discussing right now, we're putting some expectations on him. Uh, but he talked about keeping that kind of a head down mentality and just kind of, you know, tunnel vision, making sure that he's focusing on the right things as he heads into the season. So that that's going to be big. And I'm um, hoping to see some big things from him this year, no doubt. Oh, no doubt. And, and, and hearing those words out of his mouth during his presser, you know, last week was really good to hear, especially about the offseason because, you know, um, we mentioned – we mentioned, you know, him being healthy for the first time. Well, this is really his first full off season as an end. Yep. I mean, you know, he didn't get spring last year. We know how jacked up camp was. So he's getting full spring. He's getting full fall. He's got Bill. He's got JC. Really tenured guys to teach him, which is great because you've seen those guys in their work and what they've produced on the field, which is awesome. Yep. Now, Brian, Eli Adams, Jalen Griffin running with the twos, obviously the defensive end position was really hurt by the Alec Bryant, Justin Beatles, and, you know, Wooden transfers. Um, I, I think Jalen Griffin might have something, a little shocked to see Eli Adams up there. But, again, that's what we're running with right now. And you've got some of the freshmen – I have a feeling they're going to be sneaking and sniffing around trying to crack that two deep along with uh, Wilfred Panay. Uh, yeah, look to see um, probably a couple guys in there in the freshman class, either popping, popping two deep or rotating in there with a three deep. Um, the big question is, does Belmar get his conditioning back and is he healthy enough with the issues he's been dealing with um, from the end of last season? to to be able to be uh, you know a big rotational factor for us this year um if he is then you know that's going to help us because that means a guy like eli adams um is probably sliding into the kind of the three deep and not the two deep yeah and then you got like cole nelson who just looks like a 25 year old man right now not an 18 year old kid as a freshman in college um what can they do again what wilford can do we mentioned just a couple weeks ago with the transfer he played defensive end and he racked up some stats at the preparatory academy in connecticut so it's gonna be really interesting there all right let's stay on the defensive line brian let's take a look at defensive tackle um were you shocked to see jordan williams and mario kendricks as the first team out there uh not super shocked um you know seeing kendricks out there instead of pollard wasn't wasn't too shocking. They've kind of been kind of the, the two a and two B um, D tackles for me. Uh, I think what they're probably going with is having um, with Jordan and Mario, you've got, even though with Pollard putting on a little bit of weight in the off season, uh, those guys are more or less kind of the same, same body type with Williams dropping a little weight this off season and, and Kendrick's bumping up just a hair. Um, that gives you a little bit more flexibility with, you know, slides across the defensive front, um, almost having an interchangeable one and three technique. Uh, whereas with your second unit there with Pollard and Josh Fuga, you have more defined roles where Pollard is absolutely a three technique and Fuga is absolutely that, that one technique. So that's probably where they're heading with, with that type of alignment. Um, so I have no problem with, with Mario up there versus, uh, versus Pollard, but all those guys are going to get run. We talk about Bill Tierling's style here. 
he's going to rotate at least two sets of guys across that defensive line, if not three. So, you know, first team, second team, I mean, the the difference in snap count is going to be minimal. Yeah, a- absolutely. I, and, and the other thing that we had mentioned, me and you talking earlier there during our production meeting, was, you know, you can let – you can bring Pollard in with Jordan, let Jordan play the one. You know, you can bring Fuga in at the one, let Jordan play the three, or bring Fuga in and let Mario play the three. And I, you have some mix and match options where you talked about Bill rolling, rotating guys, moving guys constantly. Uh, well, you've got enough guys, even though you've got two guys who are really primary setters, you've got two other guys who can constantly move. And I mean, I, I think that's going to be a key A for keeping those guys fresh, but B for giving different looks on the beginning of the line. Now, something else that was mentioned, I think it was, was it Pollard that mentioned it, right? He talked about Desmond Mahmoudi. Um, Desmond down in the Tampa area, you know, the three-star commit last year. It com- comes in big, 6'3", yeah. 290 already. Um, so, already with probably a body to play, maybe not in the best shape to play coming from high school. But you hear that name mentioned by – one of the leaders on the defensive line, it makes your head pop up. And obviously Max Philpott, the walk on. Yeah. If you probably had to, to give me a, a third group, it would probably be those two. Um, it sounds like Mamoudi is coming on pretty quickly there. Obviously big body guy. And you like, you like that out the gate. But the thing I look at is, you know, you talked about a little bit conditioning wise, is he going to be able to stand up to a snap count? But as a third stringer, even with that, with a steady rotation that Tierling likes to employ, that third line isn't going to get a lot of run, but any run he can get this year um, is, is to our benefit. So hopefully we'll see something from him. Um, but, uh, you know, kudos to Max Philpot earning a scholarship, having a big off season in the weight room as well. A lot of, lot of kudos to him on that front as well so um good for him to to kind of kind of push some of these other guys uh guys forward a little bit i mean some of the some of the things we're seeing him flying up the depth chart um in the offseason where he was more of a more of an afterthought at the start of 2020 well it's absolutely i mean i think that's where with the defensive tackle group you feel good and even with the defensive line in general you you still feel good about it because you still to me i think the size of pollard you could play him at big end if you needed to, if you wanted to give a different look. Um, but those groups feel good. Now, the next group, I, I, there wasn't much out there about it. I don't think it shocked anybody. We look at the linebacking core, Brian. Is Hollyfield and Tisdale, is anybody shocked? No, nobody's, nobody's shocked about that. Some people are mad because <laughs> Dax, Dax, a lot of people hate Dax. And, you know, other than for what, just – you know, playing solid football, not spectacular because he was a top 150 guy and, you know, playing out of position for three years. I mean, I, 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 I get some of the, you know, the, the great white height type type buzz surrounding him. For, great for, for what? Great I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, so I, I get some of that. Like, you know, he was – four-star, you know, Bud Foster prototype type player and output hasn't matched expectations, but the fan base, you know, 
the fans that are passionate in his corner are very passionate and in his corner. And for those that point out the flaws, some sometimes that can frustrate them with the credit given relative to the output. So I I, I get that, <laughs> but at the same time, I mean he's he's played solid if unspectacular most of the time. Yeah, um, and he's been playing out of position pretty much since he's been on campus. Um, we'll see if being at his natural position for a full off season, some of the other things that were gaps in his game go away a little bit. Um, that's my hope for him. If he can take a, any step at all while playing a position that's more of a fit for his athleticism, that's, that's going to be, he's going to have a pretty good season. I'm not saying he's going to be some sort of all ACC caliber player, but mm-hmm. I don't think we need that with with some of the guys we have on defensive line and some of the guys we have on the back end. We just need him to be where he needs to be every play and make the tackle. We need him to be the old-school quarterback of the defense, get everybody lined up, make sure everybody's on their right assignment, fill the gap right, get off the block when you need to. Yeah. Now, Brian, that last part's going to be the part that he needs to work on. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to see some video of it from camp. So if you're listening video folks out there, let's see how he's doing on that. Now – Justin Fuente addressed Alan Tisdale, and I tell you what, for us that follow it closely, a lot of folks were hyped when, you know, talked about Tisdale gaining 18 pounds, Tisdale up to 228. He played at about 218 a couple years ago and was fast. I can't see 10 pounds slowing him down that much, which is great. And then he just talked about, you know, the focus and the maturity. He's in a completely different place than where he has been in the past. And Alan Tisdale at backer has that capability to be, in my opinion, he could be an all-ACC player. Now, is he going to be Tremaine or, you know, a DB? Probably not. But he could be Tariq. <laughs> there you go. That's a good way to put it. Tariq was a damn good linebacker. Yeah. Um, so it's not, it's not like he's down here. We're, getting, we're going to get a bump up from Dax because we have more athletic guy there. Now, by all means, would I like to see him become Tremaine? Yes, everybody would. Or a DV? Hell yeah. But uh, I think it was great to hear that. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think the bigger thing, like the, the weight gain is great. It was needed um, to take on inside the box uh, blocks because regardless of what you say, anybody says, Taking on blocks inside the box is different than taking on like a tight end leading out on a running play or a crack from a wide receiver or anything like that from outside the box. Playing inside the box is a different beast. You got tackles, guards, and tight ends coming at you, um, coming at you from different angles. I mean, it, it, it's 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 a different beast. So the weight gain is going to help him with getting off those blocks, standing up to those blocks, and and not not getting pushed out of the gap. Now, the other part of it, the focus and maturity is going to be big for me because more frustrating than anything with Tisdale's play last year wasn't he was too small or he wasn't wasn't uh, able to take on, on blocks. It was sometimes he looked lost. He'd have a play where he just completely blew up what the offense was trying to do, and the very next play he'd get the wrong read and be five yards out of position. And that was kind of, that was the maddening part of his game is that 
you know, he just seemed like hadn't hadn't quite put everything together with the defense. And some of that could be a, attributed to the install in a COVID year. And some of that was just, it seems like maturity might, might not have been quite where it, where it needed to be in terms of picking up the playbook and getting everything down pat. So seeing that the coaches are calling out specifically that the focus and maturity have definitely improved, I hope to see that on the field because uh, I think the kid can flat out play. I just yep. need to see it more consistent. Absolutely. Uh, second teamers, uh, Dean Ferguson. I don't think that's a shock. A lot of people have heard Dean name more and more and more. Heard him like he's going to be one of those guys that's going to need to step up because obviously Dax and his dev do play a role on special teams. Now, the shocker of this group is C.J. McCray at, at backer. C.J. fits the mold, right? I don't think anybody's going to deny, you know, deny that. CJ's a call, lengthier guy. And I think, you know, you sit here, you know, 6'3, 220. He's kind of Tisdale, what Tisdale was in 19. Um, obviously, if he's second team, he's done something in a pretty short period of time to get there with a few other guys on the roster. So that, that makes you feel good about that, Deb. Obviously, don't hear the name Keyshawn Artist, but we know Keyshawn can play. It's a, it's again, it's one of those groups where I feel good about going into the season. It's a group that I feel good about, and I actually feel better about it now than I did necessarily, a, a, probably even just a few months ago. Yeah. Um, especially with, with knowing what I know about Tisdale now. I had a really big question mark about Backer because I wasn't sure what, what to get from Tisdale. Wasn't sure how fast C.J. McCray was going to come along. And... While there's still some question marks whether Dax is going to translate now in his more natural position, you feel like he's, you know, you're not going to see necessarily, even if you don't see a boost, you're probably not going to see a drop off relative to what we had uh, last year with Rook. So yeah. um, hoping that with with Tisdale really taking a step and hopefully learn, learning to um, be more consistent in his play, that's going to uh, pay some dividends with the run and not put as much. Um, on the, our safeties to have to make tackles in the run game because that was a big problem last year. Absolutely. Well, speaking of a guy making tackles, there is the nickel whip position in Jamari Connor. Jamari Connor makes tackles. Um, and, you know, I feel like Jay Ham kind of gushed over him, Brian. Yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely, he, he was, you know, took a a good amount of time with a question related to Chamari to kind of talk about Chamari, the person um, kind of reserved until he opens up with you. But once he does, you know, it's hard to get him to stop, stop talking. Um, and that, you know, he's kind of stepped into more of a leadership role heading into this year, um, being a third year starter, um, kind of being one of the, the veterans on that unit. And it's good to see because I mean, we're, we're going to need, leaders at all levels on the defense and having a guy that, you know, everybody recognizes as a dog yep. taking on that leadership role. That's going to be big for that defense because they're, they're going to follow his lead. Um, and he brings a lot of intensity when he's on the field. And Ham also noted that he seems to be getting better with kind of reading the offense pre-snap 
and getting a lot better in his coverage technique, which was probably the biggest weakness of his game last year was, was how he played in coverage. Absolutely. Um, and if he can clean that up to a, to a significant point, um, you know, we're, we're going to be in a much better place um, than we were last year. Um, he had some games where he, he looked like the best player on the field and he had a couple games where outside of the run game, he, he was struggling. And if he can clean up that element a little bit, that's going to be pretty big. Um, you know, kind of put him back in that. I mean, I'll say this, if he can, if he can get a little bit better coverage, he's going to handle that position similar to how Mook handled it when he was here. Yeah. So yeah, it, we can see it, that. And if that's been the focus, and again, the coverage wasn't terrible. It was, again, I'll put it kind of like Dax. It was solid. But there were times he had the lapses. And, you know, sometimes they're at the worst time. So, again, I hear that. And to hear that's probably been his focus because he's always a thumper. He'd always put his nose in there. He'd always try to make the tackle. Um, we take a look, depth-wise, Nasir Peoples, Nike Hawkins, um, two younger guys. Uh, not shocked to see Nike's name. But a little shocked to see this here, Peoples, because I feel like Nike, we'd heard a little bit more about him at the whip position. Um, so that is the one thing about this position that scares me a little bit is we do not have the depth. And it's like you said, Chamar being a leader, Chamar being a dog, you know, he has to he has to stay clean. He has to stay healthy. Yeah, him. yeah. I don't I don't know who the next great um nickel whip is going to be in this defense. Uh, I'm hoping it's Nasir Peoples. I mean, so, I mean, I know Nasir Peoples is really kind of, you kept, you keep hearing his name mentioned as kind of a guy that is right on the edge of kind of making an impact. He, we, we heard him, his name a little bit at the start of last year. So, you know, maybe he's taken some steps and, and can, can be a good reserve, but more than likely, of all the positions on defense, um, Connor's probably the, the the one spot where he's not going to come off the field unless he's injured or Pretty he's much. late in the game. Yeah, we got a lead. Yeah, so, um, more than likely he's gonna he's gonna be on the field pretty much every snap, every meaningful snap at least. So, absolutely, uh, the, the the concern there is not so much twenty twenty one. It's kind of what's next. What's name? Absolutely. <laughs> All right, let's roll on. Let's take a look at probably, again, two of the stronger positions on defense. Let's take a look at safety, where, hell of a story, Devin Hunter running with the ones at the boundary safety position and Keonta Jenkins running with the ones at the free safety position. And then Devin Taylor and Tay Daly backing them up, guys with the experience, guys with playing time. And then J.R. Walker – and Jalen Stroman are a third, three deep there. There's not a hole. That's not- about it. I mean, it, you know, <laughs> the only thing you would you would ask for is if you had like one guy that was like all ACC caliber that was coming back. That that's really the only thing you could ask for in this group. But in terms of just experience and knowing that everyone in at least in the two deep can handle their role and everyone in the three deep has talent and ability even if they're somewhat unproven i mean that's 
that's as solid as you can expect from that unit. So, and I'm, I'm hoping for big things from Devin Hunter. Um, you know, he's been back with the team, I think for long enough at this point to kind of get his, his football legs back under him. And the fact that he's sitting at the, the one spot tells me that he's where he needs to be. Also the fact that Tay was moved over to free, (laughs) <laughs> says a lot Tell, tells tells me that Devin is where he needs to be absolutely and you know it's great to see Jalen Stroman already in the three deep I, I don't think Jalen's going to redshirt I think Jalen's going to be doing a ton of special teams I think Jalen's going to have some packages um and it's just that group it's just everybody has experience on the field Hunter is obviously motivated out of his mind and you talk about having an old all ACC caliber guy we lost him last year. Could he have been that all ACC caliber guy? He was so highly touted coming out of high school. He batted, waited his time um, to get that chance. And then, you know, what happened is what happened, you know, about last year at this point in time. And again, it's just a great story. Let, let, yeah. Let's hop over, Brian, to another room that is, again, you start going down, it's just players all over the place cornerback room you know Jermaine Waller did not was not there Friday he has a cold um masked up they're they're taking all the precautions they can first time really healthy starting since 19 when he was an absolute baller yep and you know we talk about him the injuries last year and everything that's happened, we're, we're hearing him about being the leader, him talking to guys about it, they get nicked. So you've got that older voice in the room that, yes, he was there last year, but when you're not on the field, it's tougher to bark, right? You're on the yeah, sideline, it, it, it's, it's, it's tougher to bark. And I think, um, you know, we talked about, I mean, the ideal scenario is probably what we were looking at pre-COVID last year with an all ACC guy coming back, a guy that was right, right below that, um, opposite him. Um, even, you know, I know Waller never really got healthy last year. Um, that's probably the ideal. This is probably the number two. This is because, you know, a healthy Waller is, is a baller. He's a, he's a, a fringe, you know, it, fringe all ACC player probably at, at his healthiest. So um, you got him on one end. You got a true freshman that played damn good, especially kind of thrown into the fire with Dorian Strong last year. It wasn't All-American. Give that credit because you don't – Yeah. Not playing – fresh Freshman All-American, yeah. Um, you got Armani Chapman, solid, a little bit bigger body corner. Um if he can improve a little bit in man-to-man coverage, he's going to be damn good as well. Um, Breon Murray kind of does a little bit of everything. Um, I think he's probably probably a little bit better in coverage, but not as good in the run game occasionally. And, you know, you got a freshman like DJ Harvey coming in. And I, I think he's going to – he may not make, make a an on-field impact this year, but having him is kind of that – you know, third or fourth line quarter on one end. I think you'll see him at least take full advantage of, of all the snaps he can get in a red shirt year, but he might end up 
you know, doing enough on special teams like a Jalen Stroman where he's going to, he's going to have another impact for us this year. So. Yeah. The, the other piece, and we, we, we always talk about, and you talk about taking Chamari off the field is if you ever go against a team where you need a true nickel corner of all those guys, I think that is DJ Harden. Now we'll see because really we didn't get to see last year what Ham would do in situations where they would continuously go at a nickel back versus a true corner. Yeah. So I'd be interested to see if maybe he doesn't work his way up, but still he walks in the door day one. He's on, he's practicing with the threes. It means he's probably getting runs with the twos. Yeah. I think the question with, I mean, let's go back a little bit to the nickel corner. Um, doing, you know, looking beyond this year a little bit, I know that that's kind of off topic, but do enough other young guys at the safety position come along where you can move a Jalen Stroman to a nickel corner as well? Maybe, maybe, I mean, and, and maybe on the nickel corner depth, maybe you don't worry as much about because you do have Devin Taylor, who's kind of a Swiss army knife that you probably could put there. You probably could not get the most out of it, but you could probably have three or four coverage sets. We'd be like, he will do this. Okay. And we'll be okay. So maybe that's the view on it. Um, but you know, again, defense kind of top to bottom, you know, definitely feeling better than where we were just a few months ago. Yeah. Um, I th- I think you feel with the defense that, you know, you may not get the top end play that we've had in our best years, but unlike last year, there's not a lot of holes. They're not, there's not a lot of nope. uh, spots where you can point at and say, I'm concerned here. Defensive end as long as we stay healthy, I feel okay about that's probably the yep. thinnest group in terms yep. of what, what we're looking like beyond the first line. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, really every other group you feel pretty solid about first line and at least comfortable with, with the second line. So, yeah. Um, I, I think you just hit it down on the head. This group isn't going to be 2020 or 2018 type metrics. I think you're looking at probably um, 2019 or 2016. I don't think they, I don't think they have the 2017 in them. No, they, they I'd say 2016 would be. I think they're a little bit better than 2019. I don't. I don't think they maybe quite hit 2017. Somewhere around the 20 2016 year. Which I mean, if we can get that and do something on offense, which we're about to get to, we we, we might be okay. Something on offense. Point, point, point. Something on offense. Well, the something on offense this year, Brian, is for the first time in the tenure of this coaching staff, we do not have a camp battle. Braxton Burmeister is, you know, locked in at the number one spot. Coach Wente said during his presser, you know, it's much easier on that one person um, to have that going on. And, you know, even Corn said it helps expand the passing game when you just have one guy, which which you get because, you know, as me and you were talking through it, you're like, well, if it's only one guy, you know, you don't have to have 10 plays and, well, I have to get you reps on 10 plays, but I got to get him and him reps on 10 plays. It's like you're going to get these 10 plays and these 10 plays and these 10 plays. Makes perfect sense, at least to me, but maybe I'm an idiot. You can install your offense at a much quicker pace. You're not having I mean, and all coaches are gonna trickle in wrinkles throughout the year because you have to do that because you have to give each defense something new to look at 
as you go along. Um, but in terms of day one packages and things that, that are kind of the bread and butter, you can have all of your bread and butter fully installed and your quarterback is fully comfortable with all of those because you're able to rep them a lot more than if you're having to truly split snaps between two or three yeah. quarterbacks. So that's only going to help Braxton because the, the more reps, the more comfortable he gets with the offense, with the receivers, with the nuances of, of picking up and knowing where the blitz is coming from in certain situations. So that's going to help. I mean, how much it helps is, is to be determined. Um, but it's, it's better, better than the alternative. I will say, um, I think of all the positions that you kind of want someone pushing quarterback is probably the one you don't, I mean, you want somebody that's going to make sure your quarterback is feels a little bit of, I can't go out there and half ass it, but you don't want a quarterback that's constantly, you know, waiting for the, uh, the hook. Yeah. That that's never good for a quarterback. Mm-hmm. So it, the we, we, we finally have a mentality where a quarterback isn't, isn't worried about if I play a bad game, I'm getting yanked. Yeah. And that's the, and Cornelson said it and I'm glad he said it. It's one of those things that finally it's addressed by the coaching staff about how mentally of that player, like you said, but of the whole team. And it's yeah. not just the – to me, it wouldn't be just the offense, but the defense, like, okay, who's going to be quarterback? You know, are we? what kind of game are we playing this week? Are we going to be doing the Notre Dame game from 2019 when we slow it to a snail's pace and try to run clock, or is it something different? Now, some melts, and, you know, this is obviously physically we can see. Um, you know, Braxton has gotten bigger. looks like he has gotten stronger. Um you know, and he mentioned it. He's not going to be shying away from any sort of contact or anything like that, but he's going to try to be smart. I like to hear that as long as we don't put him in those bad situations because, Brian, when you saw that number and he was one, it was like, what, 22.7 miles yeah. per hour? That's fast. That's that's elite. That is elite. Like – the the top on the NFL level was is was was Raheem Mostert. Luckily, I'm a Niners fan. Twenty three point three miles an hour, and that's yeah. it. I mean, and you're talking about a quarterback who can do that. And he may not have been running in pads like the kids, like sure. the guys in the NFL are, but that's still fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, what do you feel about the backups, Brian? Let <sighs> <laughs> him grab his PBR. How long we got? No, so uh, I feel as good as I felt about the backups last year, I feel as bad about them this year. And that's, I'm not trying to knock (laughs) Knox Kadem. I'm not trying to knock Connor Blumrick or Taj Bullock. And Taj obviously gets a pass because he's been on campus now for like six weeks. Yes. (laughs) Or eight weeks, whatever it is. Um, But, it's just there. There's no sense of if Braxton goes down, we're gonna be all right. There is. I don't. No. I don't have that feeling. Now yeah. there. There's a scenario where if Braxton goes down, we can still win a couple games. Yeah. We don't want that. But 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 I mean, we're in a worse scenario than we were in 2018 after JJ goes down. 
Yeah. And, and we're and we're with Willis the rest of the way. We're in a worse it, scenario it, than that. At least Willis, you knew he had, even though it was in Kansas and he had won one game, he had played a significant amount of snaps. You take the Clemson game away last year, Knox has played nothing. And yeah. I know Fuente's pleased, you know, he said, I'm pleased with his understanding of the offense and showed some videos today. He was out there running. He, he has a little athleticism, nowhere near BBs. But he's got a t- he's got a twitch, but he doesn't have the elite speed that will really. He's not a th- so. Let's let's talk about how our offense runs right um, in in the running game. You know whether it's jet motion, whether it's <laughs> <laughs> whether whether it's other other window dressing motions that we put in place. Um, you know there there's inverted veer, read option elements, all those things. Those things don't work as well if there's not a true threat for that quarterback to hurt the defense. And out, I mean, I feel like so Knox doesn't have so much of that. Connor has that, but almost zero elements of the passing game that I would that I feel comfortable with. And then Taj is too much of a work in progress at this point because of how short of time he's been yeah. on campus and, and running the offense where he probably has the highest ceiling of the three. Oh, absolutely. But he, but the lack of experience is, is probably the barrier, right? Well, if you talk about the lack of experience being there six weeks, I mean, there's a hole in the floor. <laughs> I mean, I mean, seriously, like no knock on Dodge. But look, I think he does have the highest ceiling. I think he has that potential to be a Gerard Evans type figure. But he's young. He just got here. Um, and you you can't depend on that. If for nothing else, do not ruin that kid's mental makeup by saying, oh, we're going to put you out there. And it's like, you know, it's just different. So, yeah, don't feel great about what's behind BB. Feel great about BB. You tell me BB's healthy 12 games this year. Um, you know, we have a fighting chance because of those legs and because of his athleticism and now his more knowledge of the offense. I think we'll be in most every game if Braxton Burmeister yeah. is more or less healthy for 12 games. We will be in every game. We we won't win them, but we'll be but in. We'll It'll be, be in. It'll yeah. be um, you know, the, the question becomes, you know, what happens if we don't have him? And what I see is that there might be th- – Depending on when that would happen, there might be three games on the back half of our schedule that are still potentially winnable, and the rest you could pretty much say are losses. Thank you. Duke, Syracuse, and Georgia Tech maybe, maybe would be the would be the only games I would say we had a fighting chance in the conference if Braxton goes down midseason and isn't available for those games. Gotcha. All right, another place where there's no question there's the number one. Uh, guy is tight end, big stone gap, James Mitchell on the Mackey list. You know, big thing, Fu talked about how he's improved his blocking. James is already kind of a athletic freak himself. Um, but, I mean, he had a chance to go to the NFL. He didn't because he knew if he came back and he improved those small areas just a hair, instead of getting drafted in the sixth or seventh round, he could could be one of the first tight ends off the board. Let's talk about something else too, because, you know, we, we heaped a lot of praise on Herbert last year and because of Herbert and because of some of the other areas that we were struggling in offensively, Mitchell didn't quite get a season to show, show out as much as we would have wanted him to. 
probably we're going to see less of a true emphasis on the running game this year. Um, we're going to have to throw the ball more this year to win games. True. And that's going to benefit James Mitchell's stock, not only with us, but also in, in terms of the draft. So um, that's going to be big. And the fact that he's improved his blocking means that he is the, tr- is, is, you know, truly a, a three down type player. Um, and because of his athleticism, he can be moved and lined up pretty much anywhere across the skill positions um, on the line of scrimmage. So that's going to be big. Uh, funny. He, he mentioned uh, doesn't have any name, image and likeness deals yet. That was kind of shocking to me because I mean, he's a walking, talking um, like Virginia tech image. You would think someone at this point would have, would have put something in place, like reached out to him. I know he, he's not necessarily pursuing it actively himself, but you feel like he would have gotten, a lot of a lot of calls at this point. I already told you, there is some rock calling, like a phone, like Yardworks or uh, SB Cox company in Blacksburg that should just call them and say, "We just want to use your face and put Big Stone Gap, and then our Stone Company behind you." It's so easy, and he's such a likable guy too, man. I mean, especially y'all. If y'all didn't see it, go back and look at his interview and the grit definition. <laughs> <laughs> he, oh he, worked, he worked stick-to-itiveness in there. He worked in it was doing great. what you said you're going to do even when you're not in the frame of mind when you said it. Like He worked in the whole spiel uh, that that we see on those um, those media drops from the – well, when, when Pete was doing the media drops for Virginia Tech football social media, we haven't seen them quite as frequently no, uh, since the summer began. Yeah, uh, there might there yeah. might be a reason for that. I'm not sure. Um, anyway, well, <laughs> moving on. <laughs> no, no, let's, you know, let's, let's look at the, the, the something he said and then looking at the two guys behind him. He, he, he talked about the versatility of the tight end room. And with Drake and Gallo behind him, they're not him. But they are essentially one's more of a pass catching version of him, one's more of a run blocking version of him. Gallo, the run yeah. blocker, Drake, the catcher, which <coughs> good. But I also feel I hope they decide to put him outside sometimes. Because Brian, as someone that coached, when you have someone like Big Gap, and let's say he's let's say he's on the end line and he flexes. You have choices to make, right, yep. as a defensive coordinator. All right, if I leave a cornerback out here and they run a jet sweep, if he gets his hands on him, he's going to set the edge and they're going to have a lane. Well, I've, I've told you, man, we need to go 22 personnel. Ooh, we need to get, we need to get, get Mitch, Mitchell and Gallo out there. We need to get Holston and Blackshear out there in the same package. Um, you can put Mitchell out there at the uh, Z opposite tray at the X. Um, Gallo at the Y, you got Tay at the slot, and then you got Blackshear that can work everywhere, kind of pretty much anywhere. So, do it, do it. Brown wants a lot of 22 and a lot of 12 personnel this year, guys. You're going to hear him talk about it a lot. Um, speaking of wide outs, let's look at the wide receiver room. Um, first one, not a shot, well, kind of a shot because we didn't hear his name in the press conference, but we're hearing out there Trey's the starter at the X, no shot. No. Jalen Jones 
Thomas Jefferson, Richmond, Virginia, the RVA is the two deep at the X. Awesome to hear for that kid. That's big. Um, I'm sure some of that has to do with the Changa Hodge injury, but him coming Ooh. on that fast is 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 huge. Um, yes, it is. Because him cracking the 2D isn't just of circumstance. Obviously, with, with Changa going down, there was a need there, but him stepping up and being able to kind of navigate the uh, the debris there as it was that quick and, and, and be a 2D player uh, first time on campus, that's going to be huge for him. Uh, so kudos to him. Obviously, Trey locked down the X. He's locked it down the last um, like three years at this point. So yeah, um, that that's not a big shocker. Uh, what what did you think about the uh, the Z with uh, kind of essentially Caleb Smith and Jaden Payute kind of being one A and one B? We, we we've heard you know the the steps Caleb Smith has taken to get better. But to hear rotating with Payute, um, I'm wondering if this is a thing to ease Jaden back in to that Z position um, because I, I think it would be the right move. Make sure he's comfortable. Don't give him the full workload. Essentially, don't overwhelm him when you have someone like Caleb who's very capable of playing. But if this trend keeps up, I think eventually before the end of camp, if they can, if we continue to get the access, I think Jaden Payute is going to be one of Z. Caleb, very capable backup. But you know, the other thing about the Z is you've got other guys that can play it. We have a versatile room. You know, you've got you know Tavion and Raheem could play the Z if needed, right? If yep. needed. Now, obviously, we've got enough slot receivers between Tay, Blackshear, Lofton, and I mean. I know you have things you want them to do with Blackshear. You visualize things like you want him here, you want him out here, I want him here, I want him here. Um, what do you think it's about the, the slot? Because that's where we have three guys that are really excellent at it, but also three guys that can play elsewhere if needed. Well, I think the big thing when we talk about the slot, you obviously – Tavion is probably a better fit in the slot than he was mm-hmm. playing Z like he was forced into duty kind of the last couple years mm-hmm. in spots. Um, he's more natural playing from the slot position. When you look at Blackshear and when you look at uh, Daywan Lofton, um, both of them slotting in as kind of the uh, the 2A and the 2B at that position, some of that's by necessity with Blackshear being someone that you're going to line up at truly multiple positions, not just moving him throughout the formation, but some some snaps he's going to be a true running back and some he's going to be a true slide and some some snaps he's going to be a little bit of everything depending on, um, you know, what's needed from the play call and the design. And that was from the head coach's mouth. Yeah. He would he's be lined up, up all over the field. <laughs> we wrote that down, and I think Brian might be like, if he's not lined up all over the field against UNC, after a few drinks, Brian might be tweeting at the coach. You said he'd be everywhere. I'm, I'm dropping the Morpheus gift. Show me. Ooh. <laughs> um, you say he's going to be lined up all over the field. Show me. Um, but for real, though, uh, the, having Blackshear have that hybrid role not only gives Lofton the opportunity when Blackshear is more in that running back, stage uh, of the game you know lofton being the, the the true spell for tay or coming in if they if we're mixing up 
um, how, how our receivers are lined up. And we, we've shown that Tay can play outside. So there might be sometimes when Tay slides out and you bring in, in Lofton to be the true slot or bring in Blackshear to be the true slot. So there's going to be things that we can do with mixing up where we deploy our wide receivers. Sure. And that's only going to be a good thing because we can work on matches, matchups against defenders, depending on the skill set of our uh, wide receivers and, and try to create those mismatches. Absolutely. And Dwayne Lofton's name was by the, both the head coach and the offensive coordinator. Again, a lot of expectations for him. This is a talented room, super talented room. I think every name we mentioned you feel like could do something. As long as they are put in the right positions with the right game plan every week. Okay. Using them wrong is what's going to make this room not pop. And I don't, I don't think you'll disagree with that. Now, let's – Let's jump on over to running backs because I don't think it's a shock. Jalen Holston's running with the ones. Um, and he said a couple of things that I think caught your ear when he spoke to the media back last week. Yeah, the big thing was that um, he was watching a lot of tape and talking with Khalil Herbert and trying to impact the outside zone game in the same way that Herbert was able to in 2020 and that's going to be big for him because if he can I don't, I don't necessarily expect some of the uh the the big ones yeah like like herbert busted because Her, herbert not only had great patience in the outside zone very much once he hit the hole and got to the second level he was so good at making that one arm tackle miss that turned like a 15 or 20 yard gain into a 40 to 60 yard touchdown very true. Uh, he, he did it against NC State and Duke. He did it a handful of other times throughout the season. Um, you know, big plays were kind of a hallmark for him. And I don't necessarily expect all of that from Holston, but if he can just work on that patience and hitting the hole at the right time and waiting for those blocks to set up, um, you know, sometimes with a running back, speed is great, but having being able to throttle down and then quickly throttle up when the hole opens is just as important as having that, that raw speed. True, man. And obviously you can tell he's very comfortable this year. Some jokes going on with Jordan Wilson, Jordan Williams, him and James Mitchell in the presser. And that's something else you, you like to see. The guys are loose. They're throwing joke questions. They're hanging out. They're watching each other's interviews. And that was for numerous guys. Now, yep. I don't know how happy you are to hear this, but, you know, Blackshear is going to get some runs with the running back ones. Um, and, you know, but at least it was said by Cornelison that they tried to put too much on him last year and had him thinking way too much. Um, and I think maybe that was a necessity because of depth issues. Um because for me, and you tell me if I'm right or wrong, Brian, him coming in last year, we were hoping that we would be seeing him elsewhere, not at the running back position. We but were expecting him to primarily be slot the, occasional, the occasional change of pace back, but mostly lining up as the primary or secondary slot receiver. And we didn't see much of that until towards the end of the season. And it seemed like towards the end of the season, he got better. At, they got better at deploying him. But because of that, they didn't 
use him as traditionally in the running game. And I feel like we're probably going to get a little bit of a mix of from a receiver standpoint, what we saw at the end of last year, but they're still going to deploy him most often as, as kind of a number two running back, which isn't as long as you're doing the other things, I don't so much mind him being a spell, especially if he having known the offense a little bit more working a little bit more on, on some of his, vision and I, and I don't think he has bad vision I think just sometimes early in the snap he makes his first decision isn't always the best decision and then kind of once you've committed to a path it's hard to kind of redirect and, and make the right choice there um, so just a little bit more patience like I said sometimes throttling down and and waiting for the blocks to get where they need to be um, is better than hitting the hole hard. You want to hit the hole hard on like short yardage plays and things like that. But for, for plays that are trying to go outside, you want, you want the blocks to get where they're going to be because that's going to give you the best opportunity uh, to turn, turn it into a big play. So hopefully he learns a little something uh, like Holston from, from Herbert on that front. But um, I, I feel okay about it. Um, I know I've said, I don't want him just to be a spell back, but if the next guy we're going to talk about can, carry some of that spell back load that gives Blackshear the opportunity to truly work from the slot while also occasionally being that, you know, offensive weapon that you need, but also being that, uh, that number two running back. And that, and we're talking about Keyshawn King here, who is, is fully back with the team, um, seems to be the primary backup behind Blackshear and Holston. And we're going to need him to, to play a role, um, this year and, and be consistent when he gets on the field in that role. Um, you know, it sounds like some of the things that were problematic last year have, have been worked on. He's put on a little bit of weight <clears throat> and it sounds like he's been working harder in the film room as well to, to understand the offense and be able to carry some of that load. So um, looking forward to see Keyshawn King back because he's a hell of an athlete. Um, you know, we saw that in, in 2019 when he got a significant amount of run that year. Um, so hopefully we'll at least see kind of something similar heading into uh, 2021. And another name mentioned um, was Marco Lee. And I know this is going to make a lot of people out there happy to hear that name. Oh, yeah. We saw, we saw him a little bit at the end of the season. Big boy runs with power. Um, freakishly strong. Um House for winter, frequently strong, different in pads. Yeah. Um, you know, and with him, he, they talked about him not having that kind of hair last year with COVID, kind of getting a, his body in shape, but then kind of getting to know the playbook, which I still didn't like just because of his size. Like, you can find one or two power plays where yep. you can run with him. Um, and, and something else Cornelson said, and, and this is where you hope, going back to Keyshawn King, he wants to see two guys emerge. The hope is it's Jalen and Keyshawn. Because the hope is if you have those two guys emerge, you can have you can have Raheem Blackshear be sort of that he's the third guy. We'll throw him in here, we'll give him a few carries. But since we're gonna have him all over the place, we don't have to focus on him spelling. You don't have to depend on him for those spell carries. You can depend on him to be an exactly. offensive weapon that can be deployed from the backfield, but he doesn't necessarily have to be 
that guy that's going to get you 12 carries a game and, and need to get you at least like 50 yards on those carries. Exactly. Half, he's not going to have to be that guy. Um, and, and he doesn't need to be that way. And by all means, with Braxton as the quarterback, you, you can't do the powers. Braxton's not built like that. I know he got bigger, right, Brian? But please use Marco Lee correctly. I feel like he's so big that on a third and two, his body alone hitting the line could probably get you a yard and a half. And if he just gets a little push, he's going to get you the first down. Yeah. So find the right role for him. You know who he looks like in pads, right? Who's that? Lee Suggs. Ooh, don't. Ooh. I'm not making a comparison to ability. I'm saying in pads, he looks like Lee Suggs. I'm going to get a look at the picture after we get off here and confirm that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Brian, we have saved, of course, you know, the best for last per you. Taking a look at the offensive line, and, you know, Cornelson mentioned during his press conference they weren't as deep as we are last year, and we were super deep last year. But he's feeling better about the depth now than we did before the spring. Me and you talked about it. We're, we're kind of feeling the same way, um, except for, like, one position, and that's the first position. The left tackle is – the two is Daryl Bailey, who just flipped over. I don't think that's the true two, but he's running with the twos to get reps. Um, I, I think he'll he'll get there. Um, perfect. Body. I will say this: look, looking at him in practice, while a couple of those snaps, his technique didn't look the best. He looks the part at this point. He does. He's he does. long. Um, he's got kind of a, that more thicker lower body but that long length up top that you want from a left tackle yeah um so he's looking the part that's that's a good thing number one um number two everything i see is fixable that's good <laughs> so <laughs> th- th- there's nothing that's standing out and saying okay well that's not going to get any better um so if he's if he's doing the right things technique aside then i mean that that could be something I, i'm not necessarily saying if Tanuta goes down, I feel good. But I'm saying if if he can take the steps from this season into next season, you at least feel a little bit better about the position going into next year. And sure. and the big question is is the move for Tanuta from right to left gonna gonna be good enough to to hold down that blind side? I think that that's a big that's a big question too. I, I think we feel better about the left side than we do the right side, which we're gonna get to, but. You know, there's still some question marks with that, especially, you know, I think regardless of how well Tanuta plays this year, you're not going to see Christian Darasol level play this year. So there's going to be some regression on that front. The question is how much is that going to be and how much of that is mitigated by what Braxton Burmeister brings to the table from an athletic standpoint? Absolutely. The question is for Tanuta is his run is blocking has always good. Really good grades out on that. The pass blocking was so good. And the hope is he brought the level up. Again, don't expect Darisol. If you're expecting Darisol type things, you know, you will be disappointed. Darisol like- went to next level in pass pro from from one year to the next every year. He did. He, he went from a C to a B to an A pretty much grade-wise. 100%. In, in, in the three years he played, so. Now, I will say this, and it goes to the next position of um, left guard. He's got a absolute hoss with him in Leticus Smith starting out there. So I think that is will probably help. Um, 
Luke a ton. You know, they're showing Jesse Hansen as the backup. We have talked about several times. He's one of those guys that needs to step up. If you tell me Hansen steps up to where he can be a true left guard fill-in for Leticus um, or Lasetius, I always butcher his name. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> that's going to make us feel better. And really in that interview, Brian, or his presser, Smith's leadership is showing through. We saw it with the stuff earlier in the year with Vice and Brock and him, but you saw it even more, you know, on that presser. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems like uh, Lucita Smith and Brock Hoffman are the de facto leaders on this line, and it showed in the inter- interviews um, from early last or late last week, and it showed – um, in some of the offseason stuff we've seen last year and in and this year. Um, I think Lucita Smith definitely took a step last year towards that leadership role, and it's only gotten stronger um, heading into 2021. Um, he talked about carryover from, you know, the good year last year, and he's like, carryover isn't a thing. Got to stay focused on each game. No game or season really carries over one from the other. It always has to be about preparation and execution each week, each season. Um, so that be that. That's that tells me that he's ready to lead and ready to to kind of say the right things um, to the other guys to make sure that they're doing the right thing day to day and week to week um, to get those wins. Um, and he talked about just across the board for the line, um, you know, guys coming in and getting some extra film and workouts on weekends. So I mean, that shows that you know that leadership from the player uh, leaders is trickling down to the rest of the team too. So that's good to see. Oh, absolutely. And when he mentioned that, um, I think he was referring to the whole team. Yeah. Seeing the whole team out there on weekends and days off, still working, still grinding. And, you know, I think we as fans, I think that's something we want to hear because I think, it A, it shows you it means a lot to these players and hopefully it's the understanding of what Virginia Tech football is, is, is that extra hard work, is that extra effort, is that grind. And you want to talk about grind extra effort. The guy starting at center, Brock Hoffman, being backed up by Johnny Jordan is that guy. You know, Cornelius talked about, and you've already mentioned it, leader. Big leader on the line. Um, and you can tell by the way he carries himself. Very confident kid. And and obviously a hard worker. Now, Brad did call him out and talk about he had to get more disciplined. How many you know, it felt like it felt like it was every other game. He was doing a 15-yard penalty, hurting a drive, um, which shows you know he's got the nasty streak to him. But you know, Brian, you played it. Sometimes you got to pull that back because you're going to hurt more than help. Um, yep. and, and obviously, playing center usually one of the smarter positions. So uh, you feel good there. You feel good. You you bring in an All Big Ten guy, and Johnny Jordan, to be the backup. Um, and the way it's looking, Johnny, obviously, he's there. We'll, we'll mention in a few minutes he's getting some run at right guard, too. But what are the things from Brock's um, presser kind of caught your ear? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned a couple of the big ones was, um, you know, talked about, Corn talking about his leadership and his confidence. And, you know, we know he's confident. We've seen the social media stuff. But he also said, you know, he has hard work to back up that confidence. So I think that's what you like to see. You know, you Confidence kind of can tend towards arrogance if you're not backing it up with doing the right things while you're saying the right things and, and talking a big game. So he he definitely backs it up. He def, definitely needs to rein in that 
um, those personal fouls and some of the holdings. There was a few holdings, but I think the personal fouls were bigger just because that's, you know, that's up here. That's not in the course of, of a play. You know, you, you, you get out of position or you, you know, you make a mistake with your hand placement. It's, it's hey the whistle blew, but I'm, I'm still, you know, thinking I'm a badass and I'm going to finish this playoff. Exactly. You play hard as hell. And then when the whistle blows, you stop. That's, that's, that's just how it has to be. You can be as dirty as you want to be, but do that shit between the whistles. That's all I'm going to say on that. So, <laughs> moving on. Brock uh, dropped a little bit of weight this offseason. Um, Down to 310. Yeah. Uh, I think that's going to be good for him, whether he ends up center, guard, or potentially sliding out to tackle like some coaches have talked about. and That I said I'm comfortable with if that's the best – if we if that gets our best five on the field. Um, I don't think that's an ideal situation. If, if that happens, that tells me that we've got a, a big problem at right tackle and not necessarily that Brock is just a versatile player. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, it's, it's a sign that we're, we're in a little bit of trouble if that's happens, but I'd prefer that over putting a right tackle out there that can't get the job done. So as, as we're talking about that a little bit, um, he also talked about Johnny Jordan coming in, um, he said said he came in at the start of summer. He's worked hard. He's acclimated with the unit. Um, you know, kind of came in and said and did the right things. And um, you know, they're they're really starting to gel a little bit there and click there. True. And you know, he said he was also excited about how much work Silas uh, Zancy got in uh, in the spring. And it feels like that's gonna help. That's gonna help long term, regardless of whether he ends up winning that spot at right guard or not. Um, because ha- having that extra work is only going to be good for this unit um, from a depth perspective, because that's that's the biggest concern um, outside of right tackle is what 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 depth's going to look like if one or two guys go down. It's very true, and we'll hit right guard in just a second. The other piece that I want to say that caught my eye here for the presser was he did Brazilian Brazilian Jiu Jitsu over the year, and if you ever heard about it. it is one of those really disciplined martial arts so i feel like that's him knowing like i've got to get better i've got to get smarter i've got to be able to take control and tone it down because if you remember there were a couple drives last year we're, we're, we're there we're going to push it in we, we have the defense on their heels he makes a mistake himself recognizing that and then taking up something outside of football to help with that is huge now brian you mentioned Silas Danzy. Silas Danzy and Johnny Jordan are the 1A, 1B at right guard, um, backed up by the freshman Caden Moore, who I know you love with the nasty streak. I, I feel fine about this. I, I, I do. I, I'd love to see Silas get it just because he's been here so long, worked his ass off to get in that type of position. And he's also a huge human being. Yep. And you feel like there would be some intimidation with against some teams yeah i mean he's a he's a big man um and in the run game i feel 100 percent confident that he can hold down the guard position the question is is there enough discrepancy in in pass pro relative to what johnny or caden can bring to the table that takes him out of that position and moves into into a more of a reserve role um, that's going to be the big question there, but I mean, he's got a nasty streak. Uh, this is a guy let, let's, let's rewind a little bit that we were talking about 
was slotted in to start at tackle in 2019. Yep. Sorry, 2018. Yep. 2018. And uh, injury ahead of that the, the opening game, Christian Darisaw gets that job and never lets it go. And, you know, Silas has kind of been a too deep player ever since, but never, never quite getting over the hump. And hopefully, uh, you know, this is his opportunity and he's able to take advantage of it. Um, Let's talk about Johnny Jordan a little bit more here. We didn't talk to him about him very much other than, you know, how he's acclimated with the unit here. Uh, He's going to be a significant player for us, even if he's not a frontline guy, because he's one injury away from either starting at center or guard. Yeah because he, he's going to be the next – if he's not starting at right guard, he's going to be the next best player at all interior line positions. Very true. Very true. The, the important – he is he is such a such a cog right now that if he can become that swing interior guy, it, it makes you feel better. A, because we know we can rotate guys in and out, or someone get Nick, you have a capable backup and it's big. Well, Brian, yeah. you're talking about a guy who has been waiting his turn how about Tyrell Smith running with the run ones right as camp begins? And up to this point, I have not seen any notification that he has not lost that job. And I hope he doesn't lose that job. Because um, Tyrell is someone that I, I've seen people mention, you know, he has some great feet for a tackle. Yeah. Nothing else. It's like, well, his run game's not great. You know what? I think our offense, even with a lesser right tackle who can be strong in the run game, I take his pass pro this year. Now, currently they're putting Clements and Schick as the backup. Um, kind of sh- maybe a little shocked to see Schick's name, not Clements. I know he was working over there. But uh, do you hope the man who's 25 can hold it down? Yeah, I do. Um, although – I feel better about Clemens than I did, I think, at the start of spring. Um, yeah. And the fact that you got Bob Schick at least gives you a little bit more depth. Um, I feel like at this point, Clemens is probably the true number two, but they're giving Schick some run to, number one, acclimate him to to the system. Um, and and two, kind of that, that that's a position in general that needs to be pushed because there's no clear – kind of leader in the clubhouse. I feel like, you know, Zanzi had some advantage because he started the whole spring. He's a veteran. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas, you know, Tyrell Smith, this is really his first, first run at being kind of a a number one here. So um, he doesn't really have it locked down while, you know, some of these, these younger guys in in a Juco transfer are making a run at that position. So, there's truly a competition that I think working working Bob Schick in there as quick as possible will only push those guys harder. Um, you know, if 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 Ty Smith comes out, Juice, I'll be happy. Um, just Thank because you. if he, if he wins that battle, I, I think that that he's kind of the, the the one that's easy to cheer for because you know those other guys have have some some time in their career um, to get there. So. This is going to be it for him. He's not. I don't think he's going to go for what's it? What would be ninth year? Eighth, eighth. Not <laughs> Justice Reed, but I don't think he's going to go in that direction. Yeah. Um. 
and, and still, do I feel great about offensive line depth? No. Um, do I feel I'm, okay. I'm kind of with Corin. I'm concerned about depth, but I feel better than I did at the start of spring. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know. Things I've never said before. I agree with Brad Cornelson. Well, <laughs> Boston didn't listen. He's going to come and be messaging you and being like, don't talk about Brad. Nah, we kid about that. You know, we just call it like we see it, you know, in, in our eyes in the best way we can. All right, let's roll on. Just a few other things that were kind of notated. You know, Ham talked about that the Coastal has a ton of returning quarterbacks, and this is true. You've got Sam Howell back. You've got um, De'Eric King back. you got Kenny Pickett on year 14 um, of going <laughs> 15 touchdowns and, and 11 interceptions. and everything. Guys, this, this, this has and always will be a Kenny Pickett hate Overs. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, what he was really talking about was with having that many guys come back, you get to kind of look at tape and see, essentially learn the nuances, the way they like to distribute you know, and how to affect their plan to maybe do things they don't want to do. Um, for us, there are some, there is some tape on Braxton because he did play in multiple games last year. So it, it it's both ways. Yep. Um, but, you know, it is one of those things. And, you know, you have Hal who lost a ton of production guys. You had his four highest guys get drafted. King's coming off an ACL. And it's not an ACL that was torn like in – September, October of last year, and ACL was torn at the end of the season. And he's saying he's going to be ready week one for Alabama, which, man, I, you would – I, I mean, it, I'm not saying it's not going to happen, and I'm not going to say he's not going to be fine. Um, you know, we've seen in the last few years that, you know, ACL is more of a, a six-month injury now than it was a, a full-year injury. True. Um, but it's getting back up to game speed. I'm watching exactly. both every day. It's sure, and, and and it's and the the, the honestly the mental is going to be where where I question it the most for a guy that uses his legs as much as he does both in the running game and the passing game. I mean, with the way they move the pocket and the way they use him to influence defenses um, with his feet, that's going to play a role. Um, so. You know, is the mental going to be there? I, I don't. I don't think the physical is necessarily going to be a problem, but um, you know we've seen it some now with even some NFL quarterbacks, uh, Burrow in particular. You know they talked about he's he's a little little trigger shy early in uh, in camp, and I don't know if you're going to see some of that with uh, with Derek King as well. True, man. Other things was obviously I feel like this is brought up by just about you know all the coaches were the differences in 2021. I mean, it, it was a as close to a normal offseason as possible. They they got the full workouts in in the winter. They got the full spring ball. They got the summer workouts working together. Yep. Then you're getting a normal fall camp. And, uh, uh, I mean, the entire student body is at 96% for Virginia Tech. I'm assuming that the football team is – up there. Well, I mean, with it, with them requiring um, exemptions aside, with them aqu- requiring vaccinations to be on campus, You're more than likely the the football team is is in lockstep with those percentages. I would imagine it's probably only a very small amount, if anybody, which is a great thing. Um, you know, and, and another thing Ham talked about was just data. 
just data in general and more opportunities. And, and the one thing I think you said, Brian, that you could really hear how much was we got to sit in a room together this year and talk about things and discuss this data and what we're seeing. And, and Zoom's great. Things like what we do right here are great. They are. But to sit in a room with someone and read body language and different tones in the voice, and you know this is what they're focused on. They're in this room. Nobody's knocking at the door over there. I mean, I'm, me and you've been working from home. Me and Brian earlier today just chatted a couple minutes, and Brian's kind of – we're talking about this, and Brian's looking at an email from work, and I hear his son say something. Next thing I know is Brian's like, I'll be there in five minutes. I'm doing something. <laughs> I deal with it too. Can you imagine being a collegiate football coach and trying to go over this game film? Hey, take the dog out. What? Shit, what did I miss? <laughs> Couldn't imagine doing that. So, you know, to get that opportunity to actually sit in the room with your with your team, with your guys, with your staff, I, I think the only it can't get worse, right? No, and I'll say something else. I mean, this is this is just more my observation than it is necessarily anything football related. But for coaches in the past, if I was at home and watching film, my family knew I was definitely 100% working and not to bother me. Yes. When all you do is work from home, that <laughs> delineation between work and Brian and coach Brian and, and exactly dad, Brian is that's a lot. It's, it's a little blurred and, you know, sometimes the, you know, say what you will, you might get a call out and be like, Hey, you got Like you said, go walk the dog. Like, okay, I'm watching film. But again, those lines get blurred when, when every day is, you know, sitting at home and not at the office. Um, so, and, and, the mind wanders, man. Um, just you get a lot more distracted um, when when you've got kind of those elements, and not just you know work work from home. I can get as much done work from home, but it's I get it done in a lot different ways. True. I um, and I and I think some of that took so took some time to get adjusted to. Um, I, I do. I'm very productive in in spurts more than I am when I'm in the office. It's more more of a spread out. Um, it's a flow. spread out situation. Y'all. Yeah, it's it's more of a flow. Whereas when I'm home, I get a lot of work done, and then I kind of all right. Now I'm just gonna have have time where I'm just working on maybe emails and clearing those out, and not okay. not focus necessarily on you know what I put on my agenda to start the day. So absolutely. And and you you talk about you know all that and you hear for Wente really stressing about refocusing. On, you talk about identity, building the identity because he, he it's it's kind of his go to point. Whether you love him or hate him, you know it's the truth. If you don't have and it's what you kind of in the way way you just mentioned learning how to work from home, you have to build an identity of how to work from home with all the different variables in your own house. Last year, a ton of variables, and what we're learning is everyone's COVID experience was a little different. Everyone had to deal with it, but how it affected certain teams was different. And when you're talking about eight weeks and not having guys, and Austin mentioned it last week, the guy who was the two deep at guard who's the three deep at center is asked to play center. So now you've got 
three deep center, three deep guard, who knows what's going on on the outside. But to his point, his big piece was camp is when we build our identity, when we get to know each other. And because it's it's what? It's six off, six on, one off, five on, one off, four on, one off, then three, one off, and then it's mock game week, and then it's game week. You're slowly integrating who we are going to be as a team this year. And that's big. Yeah. And, you know, if, if they come out here and they stink up the joint, will it be surprising? No. But at least this year you can say you didn't have any handcuffs on you, man. No handcuffs. I mean, no excuses on that end as well. But I, I will say this. The team seems as loose as I've ever seen them in a good way. Um, they seem like they're having fun, but they also seem like they're focused on proving the doubters wrong. And I'm hoping that's a good recipe for success on the field. Um, but they, again, they, they seem a little bit more kind of like those older teams, like the yeah. camaraderies there. I mean, it, it definitely feels a little different this year. Um, I don't necessarily expect significant differences in the win loss column. Um, you know, we'll, 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 we'll probably get to to some of that in a future episode, but um, I think this is going to be a lot more fun to watch than it was at times last year. Because at times last year, Khalil Herbert aside, it was a little frustrating to watch. I am hoping this is as fun to watch as 2016-2017. Yeah. I'm hoping that's where we are. Has anything come across the wire in the last hour and 42 minutes, Brian? Nothing that I think we should really talk about right now. I think I think we're good to go, buddy. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website at BoundaryCornerBT.com to listen to all of our episodes. And while you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Facebook and subscribe on our YouTube account. More to come on that account as we get into football season. Also, favorite podcast source. We're on all of them. Spotify, Amazon, Apple, anywhere you can think of, we're there. Click subscribe, write a review, tell us what you like, what you don't like. If you are looking to join the Hokie Club and be a part of the Reach for Excellence campaign, please visit boundarycornerbt.com forward slash giving to get that started. As always, we let him play us in, play us out. Jason Long from down in the NRV, who had a nice showing down at the farmer's market down there last Saturday. Played for almost three hours, didn't he? Three hours. (laughs) So if you heard a guy out there playing, it was Jason. Go support him when he gets a chance. When he has more shows, we'll let you guys down there know. As always, we thank you for listening. Let's go. Hokies.